Hey, let's open Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 today. The title of today is Children, Parenting, and Fathers. Not that mothers aren't important, but they're already included in the parenting. Last, uh, last week, we talked about husbands, and it's so simple, but not simple. It's so simple and so hard. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And, and this is your chance. Don't forget that the Bible says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. So it's, it's kind of like Genesis chapter 3. The woman that you gave me, right? All familiar with that passage? But this is very positive in a positive sense. The woman that you gave me, I better take care of. I better treat right and not be harsh or mean or ugly. It's the only wife that I have. And there's a spiritual responsibility as well. And remember this, too, that it always comes, it always comes back to us. It always comes back to us how we treat our wives. And uh, one more um, review of the P-L-O-D. Anybody remember what those stand for? Pay attention. Listen, observe, dwell. All the wives had this down. I, heard all, I only heard female voices. I did hear one male. Mostly female voices, though. But there's something about this, too, that, that this is a kind of a long, slow process. When, you, when you're a plotter, right, you, it, it, it kind of means that you're doing this for the long run. You just keep at it. You keep at it. You keep at it. It's not like, well, I love my wife today, and, and now she should just think that I'm the bomb. And uh, it doesn't work that way. Because if you're the bomb, you're about to blow up, right? I just made that up. Amazing. I amaze myself sometimes, too. So no excuses. Do it while you can. Pay attention, listen, observe, and then dwell with your wives according to knowledge, according to the knowledge you get by paying attention and listening and observing. And do it for the long haul. Make a commitment that you're going to love your wife. You're going to do what God says to do. So today, one of the most rewarding and challenging, both at the same time, one of the most rewarding and heartbreaking things is raising kids. Or, should I say, raising Cain. Many of you kind of know what I'm talking about, even bringing that up at all. But back in the book of Genesis as well, way, way back in the beginning, again, marriage was the first institution, and then kind of family came after that because, because God says in Genesis chapter 1, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, anybody know what he said? Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and increase in number. So he creates them. He blessed them. Male and female, he created them. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply. multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And then you have to raise them. It's not just the multiplication part of it. There's so much more added into that, isn't there? It doesn't just stop when you have the baby. Oh, great. When you think about the, the heartache and grief that comes with it, as well as the joy and the blessings, I mean, it's like, it's like all of it, isn't it? 
You think back to Adam and Eve, though. They were told to be fruitful and multiplied. And think about their very first child. What was his name? I've already mentioned it. His name was Cain. And you know the story. Cain gets, you know, angry and he kills his brother. Very first child. My story is kind of part of this message because I need to, it's not a, an excuse or it's not a, what's the word? Uh, see, I always forget words. It's not a justification. But <clears throat> I, I basically had no father growing up. My father was an alcoholic and my parents got divorced and and so we kind of needed to raise ourselves. I had five brothers and two sisters, six boys all in a row, and then two girls at the end, eight kids. So basically, uh, we were pretty much on our own. My three older brothers got into a lot of trouble, and then I was kind of angelic. <laughs> Not really. I was kind of in the middle. I kind of got stuck taking care of the younger ones and, and watching what the older ones were doing, and they kind of got me involved in different things, and, and I got into a lot of trouble too. But when I became a believer, when I believed, something that, that was huge for me is that I saw that God was my Father, that I didn't know before. I didn't, I didn't have that in my heart and life before. I didn't, I didn't have anyone like that. I had a, you know, maybe a neighborhood friend that, you know, were there a little bit, but, but when I became a believer and saw God, that he was my father, my life was transformed and changed. Not that I, you know, still didn't and still do struggle with some of those things from not having a father there. And then, and then later, becoming a father, I, you know, I had had no example whatsoever of what a father was to be like. But God, again, has been faithful, and he's helped me, and he's still helping me, because it's not over. You know, it's never over. It's never over. You don't raise them, and then they're all done. Now, you know, goodbye. I want you to turn to a verse, because I think this actually affects a lot of us. Is Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6. Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6. Because we're going to talk about fathers, but we're going to also, we need to talk about God, that, that God is our Father. And, and we, you know, this has affected so many of us as we see what's happened in our society. But Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6, look what it says there, that God is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. And God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. God's a father to the fatherless, and I, and I can see that in my own life, and I can see that over and over in other people's lives. But there's something about when we get let go, in that song we sang this morning about the white flag, when we let go and we, we give up, and we, we realize we got this rebellious streak within us, and we, we surrender and submit to Him. God has such a heart, and you can do a search in your Bibles with a concordance uh, on, the, on the Internet now. You can look up fatherless, and you can see that God has such a heart for the fatherless. Such a heart for the fatherless. He cares, and He wants us to care. 
He wants us to understand. Keep that in mind as we move on now. Back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So children, parenting, and fathers. First he starts with children. Children, obey your parents in everything. And, and I think this, is, this has got to be the first thing to learn. Obedience, obedience to authority. And it's, it's one of the structures in life. And notice it's parents plural. It's something that needs to be learned for, for our own safety when you have a, a young child and you're teaching them. Just for their own safety to listen to you, to obey, to you, to obey you. Why? Because they, if they're about to run out in the street and you tell them you must stop, if they will not listen to you, it's, they could be hurt could be dangerous. I do, I do believe that it, it, it's one of the first and one of the most important things that children need to learn. You can't, uh, you can't just go to a child and say, listen, obey your parents. You know, one-year-old child, listen, I'm going to teach you the Bible now. Obey your parents. They have to be taught how to obey, right? They have to be taught these things. We don't don't normally just know these things. In fact, the opposite is true. We know normally and naturally how not to obey, to be rebellious, to do whatever we want to do. It's called sin nature that we have all, each of us within us. Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon said, My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. And when you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life. That the parents have this input. And he's saying, listen, you need to pay attention to what you've been taught. What they have instilled in your life. Again, for me to even talk about this, I, I, that's why I, I tried to, you know, share a little bit about what my situation, where I came from, uh, what that is like, because, because I, I'm not an expert in this. I, I don't have all the answers. You know, we raised some kids. That doesn't make you an expert. You learn things along the way, but you're still learning, and I'm still learning. But when you think about our society and and uh, what's going on? Uh, Paul said in Second Timothy that in the last day, the last days there will be terrible times. And he kind of describes our society in a way. L- listen to this: people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. And then he adds in here too. This is interesting: disobedient to their parents. It's got something to do with the, 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 the this last times and the, the coming forth of the, of the wickedness of the last days. You've probably seen that uh, bumper sticker that says, you know, about authority. What does it say? Something about question authority, I think it is. No matter what authority it is. And, and that's, I'm not saying you just do what anybody and everybody says, but this is something basic about, about learning structure and obedience to authority because it affects your whole life. Warren Wearsby had a couple interesting things to say. He said that the modern version is this. Parents, obey your children, for this will keep them happy and bring peace to the home. 
That's true. We've been taught that. Dr. Spock, he should have stayed on, on the, the enterprise as far as I'm concerned. Some of you guys understood that yeah. joke, but some didn't. Parents, we need to teach our kids. Children need to, need to be taught. He went on to say this, the child who does not learn to obey his parents is not likely to grow up obeying any authority. He will defy his teachers, the police, his employers, and anyone else who tries to exercise authority over him. And the breakdown in authority in our society reflects the breakdown of authority in the home. This is, this is key. Now, again, there, there was no authority in the home I grew up in, but, but I, can't, I understand this now because of a relationship with God. But like that verse we read in Psalm 68, I could still be rebellious to him, but, but I've learned to be obedient, I'm, and I'm trying to be obedient, to obey him in everything. And that is an example, and we'll talk about that a little bit too. But the breakdown of authority in the home, it, it goes into all of society. This uh, defying of authority. That's why my brothers ended up in so much trouble. My oldest brother, big-time drug dealer. My second brother spent years and years and years in prison. My third brother, in and out of juvenile hall and all kinds of other stuff. You know, they had names for cops that I don't even want to repeat. Parents, we need to understand this. This is a principle from God's Word, and, and, and how we can relate to our parents also then affects how we can relate to God as our Father. It's a trust we've been given, and it pleases the Lord. Parents. Let's go on. There's a few other verses, passages we're going to look at today like we have in the last two uh, lessons, though. In verse 19, excuse me, verse 21, it says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, I want to say here that mothers, it's not that mothers aren't important. I think, as I shared in the beginning of, these, of this series, is that a lot of things that mothers just already do and they already know how to do. It's not that often where mothers are making their children, uh, are, are acting harsh and embittering and making their children discouraged. They're already doing that. They already know it. And so I think when he points this thing up about the fathers, I think it's because he's putting his finger on a need. And fathers, we need to father up, I think is uh, what I want to say. We need to step up, and, and, and there's too many absentee fathers. There's too many fathers that are disconnected. They're not part of the picture. Uh, one survey that someone quoted in a small town said that fathers, they spent only 37 seconds a day with their small sons. 37 seconds a day. Now, again, this is not to minimize the job that single moms are doing. It's not an easy job, and I want to say keep going. Keep doing what God is, is obviously going to help you to do. But that doesn't negate the need to speak and challenge to us men that the statistics show that we need to step up. One Ohio prison ministry said that in, in, in their state, 
in the uh, correctional facilities that, that they saw that 67% of the people in the prison came from a broken or dysfunctional home, and 97, 95% of men in prison had no father figure. 95% in the prison had no father figure. That, that's pretty uh, alarming, isn't it? Another report about Pennsylvania from Pennsylvania says this, that the statistics are not pretty. Of teen runaways, 90% come from fatherless homes. 90%. And so do 85% of all youth currently sitting in prison. 70% of long-term prison inmates. They have different figures here, but it's bad. That's for sure. The negative statistics continue seemingly without end regarding the social, economic, and educational impacts of homes without fathers. 63% of youth suicides from fatherless homes. 75% of children uh, in, without fathers in the home experience poverty. 71% drop out from school. Whoa. That's heavy, isn't it? My, you know, back to my situation, my, my youngest sister was 13 years old. She ran away from home, and she never, ever came back to live at home. 13 years old. She died at 24 from drugs and HIV. 13 to 24. There's some fruit there. Bad fruit. He says here, fathers, don't embitter your children. They'll become discouraged. And, and fathers, again, just being there, it's not just this authority figure, though I, I, you know, I think there's a place for that. We'll talk about that in a second. But it's not just an authority figure. Uh, we, can, we can discourage our kids. We, you know, we can, just like we can be harsh with our wives, we can be harsh with our kids and me. Because we're so strong and macho or whatever, there really needs to be a balance between love and attention and discipline. There has to be a balance between all of those. Love, discipline, and attention. If you only have one, you're just out of it. If you only say, oh, I love my kid, I love my kid, but you never teach them anything about authority, you never teach them anything about discipline, you never show them any attention, you can love them and not show them any attention. Or you show them all this attention, but you don't really love them and you don't really discipline. See what I'm saying? It's got to be a balance. That's what makes it so difficult. And at the end, I want to say we need to start on our knees before God. Discipline is, a, is important, but without love and attention, it only will create bitterness. I do believe in discipline for children. I think it's biblical as a form of love. Proverbs 13, you know these verses, I'll quote it because of the context of what we're saying here. Is, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Again, it's got to be love and attention and discipline, and part of love is actually doing something. Because I know this is also true, that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive, will drive it far from him. 
discipline. And, and now you say, well, does that mean just beating the kid? No, that's not discipline. This discipline is different for every child. For every child is different. There is a place for some that need to have some kind of uh, stronger discipline than others, but every child is different. Someone said this, that it needs to be used, but not in anger, cautiously and judiciously and far from the only tool that we have available for training our children. But keep this in mind, too. Someone else said this, another pastor. He says, I usually point out that a kid will receive discipline in life, either from his parents who love him or teachers or other kids or other adults like bosses or police. Better that it be the parents who love him. They're going to face that wall at some point in time. And so many would, would end up in, in a place uh, like a prison. It's a, it's, a, it's a responsibility that we have. Love, attention, and discipline. You don't discipline them so much that they're just discouraged. They just want to give up because, you, because they can't do anything right for you. That's not right. That's not the package. But, but if you take this fool's view that says they never do anything wrong, that's not right either. That's foolish. So, is this helpful at all? Okay, let's see. Let's go back to Ephesians, the parallel passage in Ephesians. It's pretty much the same that he's already said here. He adds a little bit here. Ephesians chapter 6 Verse 1, I got a couple of my kids here today, and uh, I've got to be very careful. And you notice I didn't, I'm not asking them to come up and tell you anything. <laughs> so keep it to yourselves. I see them back there snickering and whispering and Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's something so right about it. Learning obedience in the home with the parents, the mom and the dad working together. Both parents are mentioned here, and it's a really the responsibility of both. It's not just you're the bad guy and I'm the good guy and I'll be good and you be bad, although... You know, we're not the same. Husbands and wives are not the same, and we have different personalities and different ways of doing things, so we, but we have to work together. If we don't work together, you know, I've seen in my own family and in my own life, kids, they're pretty good. They know how to play both sides against the middle. They know how to manipulate the situation. You don't have to teach them how to do that, to manipulate one against the other. we got to work together. we got to work together. And sometimes it takes, you know, patience for the husband and the wife just to get together. Sometimes that takes a long journey to you kind of figure out how we're going to work together to do this thing, to teach our children what's right and what's wrong. He goes on to say, "...there honor your father and your mother." which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Again, this, 
what we're teaching them. We're teaching them about obedience. And now we're also talking about honor. And I, I, the way I understand this as well is that honoring your father and mother, this is something that never goes away. You're not always obeying your parents when you're, you know, 45 years old. But you're certainly called to continue to honor them, show respect to them. Where do they learn that? They learn it in the home with you and with me. Respect, love, and honor, and care for. Such a huge thing about our examples, though. Chapter 6, verse 4, again, fathers. Notice the mothers are not singled out. You mothers can just take a deep breath and say, okay, cool. But the fathers, he says it again, fathers, do not exasperate your children instead. Don't exasperate them. Don't provoke them to wrath. Don't be all over their cases all the time. Don't rule with an iron fist. Don't show them how tough you are. That doesn't mean you don't have to be tough sometimes, but if that's all you and I are, we've missed the boat. But instead, he says, bring them up. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. Not just fathers, though, but mothers perhaps already know how to do this. But when I looked at those words, those words kind of stuck out to me to bring them up. To bring them up to higher standards, not just the lowest common denominator, but bring them up to higher standards, to higher goals. Bring them up to higher morals than just the, 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 the human nature is capable of. Because you just leave a child to itself and... Not a good idea. My sister, who passed away, she had a kid. He was, he had no father. To this day, he doesn't, he doesn't even know who his father is. Is that sad? Doesn't know who his father is. He came to live with us for a while because after she died, we went back and, and we, we uh, took him back to California. Uh, he ended up living with my brother and his wife um, for most of his growing up. But I can still remember when we got there, uh, you know, hearing about what his life was like. He, he had diabetes, uh, you know, juvenile diabetes, and so... Uh, he would get his shots, right? But if you don't eat correctly and you have diabetes and you get your shots, you, you know, your blood sugar level will plummet and you will be in trouble. And, uh, you know, that's what we heard, that he was kind of, he'd be wandering around this little park area by their apartment building just in a daze sometimes. No father there, no one to take care of him. Bring them up. You've got to bring them up to higher standards. Bring them up to what God would have for them in your life. This training and instruction of the Lord. There's a spiritual basis for what we teach, for, for what we believe. It's not just what I think is best. It's what God says is right and best. This is, this is you know, this is the relativistic society where, you know, it's just what you think is good and what you feel is right. But, no, we have a, we have a guide here. We have a standard, and it's, it's what God has 
given to us in His Word, what's right and what's wrong. We don't have to, again, not just be hammering about everything they do wrong, though that needs to be pointed out, but we need to show them what the right way is and, and encourage them about what is right. But one thing I have to say again is that it's not, it's not just book instruction. It's not just sitting them down and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you now, son. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. Let me, let me teach you these verses. Let me show you this pattern, this skill, whatever it is. It's way, way more than that. And, and that's the scary part, isn't it? Because they watch what you do. They watch what you say. They watch how you say it. They watch you know, how you treat each other. They watch how you follow Jesus. They watch if you follow Jesus. Jesus. They watch if you read your Bible. They watch if you don't. They watch what you watch on TV. They, you know, it, it's, it's, all of it is part of what they see and know. That's teaching too. It just doesn't work to say, you know, do as I say and not as I do. It just doesn't work. I'm sorry. What we say and what we do. Bring them up. Bring them up. If you remember anything, that's what our challenge is, to bring them up. One more passage I want to look at before we close. Uh, in and my purpose is not to make anybody feel guilty or under condemnation. This is what God's Word says. We have to know what His Word says, and then we have to ask Him to help us to do what His Word says. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The fifth book, chapter 6. Starting in verse 4, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Anybody know what this passage is called? Shema. It's a, one of the, one of the, the passages that, that a Jewish family would Repeat. They would recite it every single day, especially the idea in verse 1 that, that there is one God and that we worship Him. But notice verse 5, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And we thought that was just New Testament. No, the, it's, it's found right here in the Old Testament as well. It's a, it's a relationship of love between us and God, between Him and, and us. That's the context. It's the context of love for God. But notice he says this, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. First, they're upon our hearts. Before we're ever trying to impress them on our children, they've got to be upon our hearts. It's got to be real in me. 
And then I can impress them on my children. This idea of, of, of making an impression, where you actually make an impression, like you can make an impression in some clay or in sand or whatever the material might be, where you make an impression. And isn't it true that we are making an impression? Even if we're not trying? Good or bad? You bet we are. But, but this picture here that, that I see here in these verses of this passage is it's not just, again, just sitting in a little classroom somewhere. But it's like all of life, everywhere. He says you're talking about it. You're impressing them on your children. You're talking about them when you're at home, when you're out along the road walking, when you're lying down, when you're getting up. Every part of life where this is, this is a relationship and this is a responsibility that every part of life They're watching. They're learning. Each child different. Each child unique. But on the other hand, we're also all in this together, parents and kids. We're in this thing together. Maybe some of you kids need to uh, have a little grace for your parents to maybe, you know, they're doing the very best that they know how to. Give them a little bit of break and a little bit of grace too. Maybe, just maybe also there's a case for a PLOD, a PLOD here as well that with the children that we need to pay attention, we need to listen, we need to observe, and then we need to dwell with them according to that knowledge. Children, parents, fathers. So let me just sum up with three points that maybe are, are crucial, but but not all-inclusive. All Number one is this, as I mentioned earlier, is this, this really should bring us to our knees before God. This is such a huge responsibility to raise up children because they're going to be out in the world. They're going to be facing the world. You and I, to prepare them for that, should bring us to our knees before God because how many of us are worthy? How many of us have had a perfect example? You know, if I asked you to raise your hands right now, uh, probably half of you at least would say, I didn't have a father in the home. I didn't have a good example. I didn't have. So how can I possibly? We got to get on our knees before God and ask him help. Please help us. Because the, because it's, uh, the, the outcome is crucial. Number two, fathers. There's a hammer here. It's a good hammer, though. The fathers, you need to be there. You need to be there. And it's not as always easy because, again, we, we have our own ideas. We have our own careers. We have our own goals. We have our own this and that, our own hobbies and everything else. Fathers need to be there. But number three, I think, is something that we can do as a, as a family, as a big family. He sets the lonely in families, as we read, is that we can learn from each other and we can help each other. We can, we can be in this together. We can help each other. I can help you and you can help me. But the rewards are out of this world. It's, there's nothing worth, there's nothing that's more important. Again, you, you hear it over and over again and we always, we know, you know, well, you know, you get to the end of your life and you say, well, I wish I had, you know, I wish I had. And, you know, I have regrets things that I wish I had done more when I was raising the kids. 
I wish I had spent more time with him. I wish I had not done other things. I wish I had been more careful. But it's worth it to work together and to share with one another, to learn from each other. I lost my train of thought there. You know, being 32 is very tough. You know what I'm saying? God help us. God help us to do this thing. So crucial, so important. There's a verse in Joshua chapter 24. It says the verses that, again, that we all know, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And again, I, I put that on uh, primary the, the Father to take that role. Now, again, it's not, it's not that, that women aren't doing the job. That's, that's the problem is the women are doing the job, but the men are not doing the job. <coughs> And that's why I think these things are pointed out to us. My wife is signaling to me like she wants to say something. Of course, um, there's nothing new about that. <laughs> so uh, we do have a few extra minutes because I'm ending early here. So if she's going to come up and say something. I'm not sure what. It's one of those hard things again. But if I don't say it, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to feel like I disobeyed the Lord. My kids are here, so they can tell you whether I'm lying or not. Because everything that we do, you know, we have witnesses that lived in our house. You know, I mean, our lives have always been an open book. But, you, again, our kids are a reflection of us. So they, you know, we have no secrets. But one of the things that we used to fight about a lot and they can tell you this. I mean, they can tell you, they can tell you some pretty funny stories. Um, but one of the things that we used to fight about a lot was understanding that our kids have their own relationship with their parents. Sometimes wives, we want to do this. Protect the child from the dad. We get in the way. We want to protect our kids from their dad. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. Angelina's, yes. I used to, I literally used to go in to when he was dealing with the kids because he took his role very seriously as a father because he didn't have a father, so he really worked at this father thing. Like, this was intense. He was in, he's still intense, but it was intense. It just, there was a lot of tenseness. But he was intense. But because he was intense, I used to feel like I used to have to protect their little fragile beings from their intense father. Because we're so like easily manipulated. Okay, it started with Eve. We're very easily played. The kids would confess to me later how they had played me so well. Yes, look at she's Angelina's like dying over there. Okay, they would confess to me how they had played me. And I'm pretty, me I'm pretty intense myself, but they had played me and got between us. They worked at that. 
They, they were pretty quick. They knew exactly what his responses were going to be, what they had to do to get around him, what they had to do to get around me. They, they're pretty, these kids are pretty smarter than you think. But the problem was is that I got in the way. I got in the way of him being able to be the father that he was supposed to be if I kept hindering his ability to lead. If he was trying to step up and be a dad, it wasn't my place to get in the way. He had his own relationship with them. He had to establish that relationship with him, with them. And I had to just walk away. I had to teach myself to do that. I had to walk away. It's not my place to protect them from the shepherd of the house. Just like it's not my place to protect you from the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. If God is dealing in your life and I get in the way of that, then I'm usurping his authority. So it's the same in the home. The dad has a relationship with his kids. We have to allow him to do what he needs to do. This doesn't give you dads an excuse to just not. But I know that some women can get in the way. She's laughing. She's like, yes, me. We can get in the way. And, I'm just, and I just feel like I have to say that, that sometimes you get mad at them because they're not being the dads in the house, but sometimes it's because you're telling them how to be the dad. And you're not allowing them to be the dad. And you, like, as soon as he leaves in the morning and goes to work, you rearrange what dad said because you didn't necessarily like it. When dad's gone, dad's rules still rule. That's all. It, it helped me remember where I was. <laughs> Had a minute there. What I want to, the thought I want to close with is at the end of our lives, and we say, you know, I wish I had saved more money. I wish I had bought a bigger house. Or I wish I had watched more television. Or I wish I had, you know, all the things that we're so involved in. But that isn't the way it is, is it? It ends up, I wish I had spent more time and paid more attention to my family. It always gets back to that. I wish I had spent more time and, and paid more attention to my family. This is big, you know. This is huge. It's also very emotional, very, it's very deep because this is, this is who we are. And, and some of us, we feel like we've failed and some of us are in the middle of it and we're struggling and we need help. God, God is faithful, though. God will help. He will. He is the father to the fatherless. He cares about family. He wouldn't put it in his word if he didn't want to help us in this very crucial area. So why don't we just pray right now? And maybe, maybe this is some areas that you just want to lay this all out before God in your own heart right now because you just need to. It's just... Maybe touched a nerve in some of your areas. Maybe, maybe you're still hurt by the way you've been raised, your own parents. You're still hurt by that. I know I am from time to time. I'm still hurt by it. But God is faithful. Father God, we come and we lay our hearts before you. There's nothing that hits ho closer to home than home. And it's painful 
as well as joyful. It's not easy. None of us have these perfect lives. None, none that I know in this room anyways have these perfect lives that we can just say, wow, it's been so awesome. Perfect. But God, you are the God who heals the brokenhearted and you are the God who strengthens the weak and you are the God who helps parents to be parents and you help us to be what we're called to be. You help us to be good kids too to our parents even though Sometimes that's not easy. Father, I pray you'd work in our hearts and lives and we bring these things right now and we just like come to the cross and we, and we bring them and we put them right before the, the cross, right before you and say, God, please help. Help us from today. Forgive us maybe for the past, and we have regrets, but we can't do anything about it. We can't change the past. We can only... Change what's ahead. And like Paul, to forgetting those things that are behind, to reach forward for those things that are ahead. Help us to do that, Lord, to do it right, to do it in your strength, to do it with your help. Father, maybe some here today uh, just need, they need to start at the beginning, which is having a relationship with God Almighty to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Maybe that's you today. None of this makes any sense. Well, you need to know that Jesus died for you. And we're coming up to the celebration of his death and his resurrection and Easter time. That he died for your sins. That he gave his life for you. That he loves you. That he was buried and that he rose from the dead, defeating death. And that all you need to do is trust him. Put your faith, your heart in him. Simply say, Jesus, I, I come, I'm lost, I'm broken, I'm hurting, and I, and I come to you and ask you to come into my life and be my Savior, be my Lord. Give me a brand new start. Make my life born anew, a new birth into a living hope. Help me, Lord, I pray. Help us all, Lord, we pray. Jesus' name.